Her son is her biggest fan, and he asks her regularly, when can you be the mystery reader in my class? The mystery reader is when someone's parent surprises them and comes in to read to the class. Life's full of mysteries, especially when you live with a chronic illness. In this case, there was one main mystery on this mother's mind, being the mystery reader in Logan's class. She feared she'd never be strong enough to do it. It is very easy to sink into this, why me? I don't want to do this. This is too much. But when he, you know, jumps in my lap and throws his arms around my neck and squeezes me, it's like, this is why I keep going. That's kidney transplant recipient, blogger, and kidney advocate, Christy Fields. I'm Monica Fox, Director of Outreach and Government Relations for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, and your host for this edition of The Journey Continues. Christy joins us for this episode of The Journey Continues to share how she balances work, family, mental health, and chronic illness. So tell me, how'd your journey with chronic kidney disease start? Well, it hasn't really been much of a long one. It was actually July of 2020, so the year of COVID. Through routine blood work, my doctors had found that my creatinine was slightly elevated. Of course, it was a Saturday and she freaked out and I spent the day in the hospital in the ER having some levels rechecked and everything was fine. They sent me home. They said I was a little dehydrated and to follow up with my primary care in the following week. So long story short, um, I did that. They monitored me over a couple of months, but my levels really didn't change. They stayed there. And at the time I was diagnosed with stage three kidney disease, which was an absolute shock to me because, you know, I'm relatively healthy. I'm on the younger side and, you know, in comparison, uh, we don't have a family history of it. So it was really kind of crazy that they're coming at me saying, your kidneys aren't in great shape. So at that point, they referred me to a nephrologist who I started working very closely with. You know, things were fine. I was doing really well. And then, you know, my levels really didn't change. In fact, they started to improve. And then all of a sudden in July of 2021, I got a 6 a.m. phone call that said my father had passed away. Very unexpectedly, um, he had a routine surgery. There were some complications and I lost him. And I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah, it was really hard. He was healthy. You know, he was 64. You know, there's there's a lot that went into that. Obviously, it was a very big shock to the family. And so, you know, I carried on, but I struggled. And so I went in for routine blood work a couple months later and found out that uh, my creatinine levels were in the threes. The doctor said, what is going on? What happened? I'm like, I, I don't know. I've been really, you know, sad and kind of depressed. I had some anxiety. Might just lost my dad. He's like, well, you need to take a break of life. You need to, you know, calm down, slow down. Let's recheck you in a month. I said, okay. 
So I did. We waited a month and I went back and my creatinine was now almost a five. And so now I was diagnosed kidney failure. And so because we didn't have a true reason or understanding as to what was going on at this point, they did send me for a biopsy and found out that I have IgA nephropathy. Um, so suspects, you know, the, the trauma of losing my father may have triggered the autoimmune disease. And so at that point, I was told I was going to need a kidney transplant, which was extremely shocking to me because I had just had my diagnosis, you know, about a year, year and a half before. So I had my little moments of freak out and I started tackling what I needed to do. And so I had created my blog, Chronically Christy, truthfully as a way to just keep family informed and friends informed and you know, when you when you have a diagnosis like that, the, the last thing you want to do is reiterate yourself over and over. And even though it comes from a place of caring, I didn't want to relive everything. And so I figured, let me put this out there. Maybe I'll meet some people out of it. Maybe I'll help somebody else. And in the meantime, I'm keeping family and friends informed. So it grew out of that. That sounds like a, you know, a great plan that you came up with, you know, something to do to kind of lessen the burden on yourself about telling your story over and over again. And, you know, and then the possibility of helping others by sharing your story. We know that shared stories really do help others. So yeah. um, thank you for that. Oh, of course. All this sounds pretty overwhelming and it came at you at, you know, at a difficult time during COVID. What impact did this diagnosis have on your family? It was very hard telling my uh, immediate family, my mom, my siblings, immediately, I mean, within months of losing my father, it was horrible. You know, of course, there was a, a concern that they were going to lose me as well. You know, I'm a wife and a, and a mother. And so, you know, my husband struggled. My son, who was what, five at the time, really struggled and and we keep things pretty high level for him but we also don't lie to him and we we explain what's going on why is mommy so tired why is mommy going to bed early things like that so i mean it was hard um you know i think it's hard anytime that you have a loved one who falls ill like that but i think it's even more challenging when it's coming on the heels of the loss of one of your immediate family members, especially in the way that we lost my dad. It was it was very tragic. So there was a lot of fear, a lot of fear. Yes, that makes sense. And so you mentioned transplant. Was that the first treatment option that they offered you? Yes, because at the time, I want to say my GFR was around 20. So Dialysis wasn't the first, you know, like, oh, you need dialysis right now. My nephrologist said that he had hoped that we could get me the transplant before we needed that, which I am very fortunate that was the case by a very narrow thread. But yeah, that was the first option as we talked about what we could go through. We did try some medications, but ultimately it was going to come to that at the, at the rate it was progressing. And did you f expect that finding a living donor would be difficult? You know, I 
was kind of on the fence, you know, asking friends and family to give them one of their organs is a lot to ask. And I know people are very quick to step up and say, oh, I'll get tested and I'll do it. And sure. But at the end of the day, it's a huge decision and it's one that impacts them for the rest of their life. Um, And there's also a lot of criteria that needs to be met. And at this point, I was so new into my kidney journey that I really didn't know what to expect. And so I had put it out there that I needed a donor if any of my friends or family were interested. And here's the cri- here's the high-level criteria. And I'm extremely grateful that my, my husband was the first and only to get tested. And we found out he was a match right away, which, I mean as I've sat and processed things over, you know, time is mind blowing to know that it was right in my own home. Yes, that's totally wonderful. And I can't help but wonder, how'd you feel when, when your husband agreed to be your living donor? It was bittersweet. It was a a mixed bag for me because at one point I was like, oh my goodness, thank God I'm going to be okay. And then it, it, it flipped to, well, what about him? Is he going to be okay? What impacts could happen to him down the line? And then this, this guilt we, you know, transplant recipients feel of, well, what happens if it fails? What happens if something goes wrong? Now, he just donated something to me that my body couldn't keep. There were a lot of emotions, both good, you know, some of that fear-based. You know, I felt so much love as well because that's something that not many people can or would be willing to do. And the fact that he stepped up to save my life, to have his son grow up with his mother was just, I mean, overwhelmingly like such a loving gesture. I mean, I I truly cannot thank him enough for what he's done for me. Yes, that's the ultimate loving gesture. Yes. (laughs) I agree with you. So how's life post-transplant? You know, it's pretty good. So I am, I think just this week, I was 10 months post. I won't lie, it's it's been quite the roller coaster, the first six months especially. At the time of surgery, as I mentioned, I wasn't on dialysis. They were holding off because we knew we had a living donor in the process. Um, there were just some things that took a little bit of time. But my my GFR was a 3 Three, so I was at three percent kidney function. I was mm. extremely ill. I was still working full time uh, remotely up until a week before the surgery. Um, oh, wow. I was, yes, I was taking multiple naps throughout the day, like cat naps, just to to rest up. But I would say I, it was a lot. The first three weeks in. I faced um, what they suspected was very mild rejection. My body uh, metabolizes these medications, the Tacro, very quickly, and so we couldn't get my level up fast enough, but we were able to turn it around extremely fast, which I was extremely grateful for. But it was kind of like a little kick in the butt to say, okay, this is real. Like You don't just put a kidney in and everything's magical and wonderful and you move on. I struggled with the medication for the first few months, 
I told this to my team. I said, you know, I'm supposed to go back to work. I can't function. I've got this awful brain fog. I can't remember anything. I'm tired. I'm dizzy. I, I can't live like this. And so they switched the protocol for me. And it was night and day. Like I felt so much better. I felt more like myself. And I would say right around the six month mark was when I felt like I really kind of turned a corner and I was able to feel so much better. I'm not going to lie. I still, there are days that I'm exhausted. Today is one of them (laughs) where, you know, you just, you have these off days, you, you know, maybe overly tired, you might be over emotional, you may just not have any patience. <laughs> and so, you know, when I have those days, I I care for myself, I rest, I take what I need. But overall, it's so emotional to me because I never realized how sick and terrible I felt until I now feel better. I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty close to it. I'm so incredibly grateful and happy that I can live my life very close to what I used to. Things are going really well. I accredit my family and friends for helping me. My medical team over at Advocates Christ are amazing. They stay in close contact with me. Any concern I have, they are there to help me. And so I think that that has helped a lot as well. So how soon were you able to return to work? I started back at work January 1st of the year, so it was about four and a half months. Luckily, I I do have a a remote job. I only need to go into the office on occasion. So I started um, part-time for that first month just to get more acclimated. Unfortunately, I don't know if I was really ready, but I needed to try. I needed to move forward, and so having... Being able to go back just three days a week for the first month helped tremendously. And now that I've been back, you know, full time since February, I'm like back in the swing of things. I'm better than ever. I'm more engaged than I was last year, which is just a really good feeling because at the time I, you know, I was like, do I even like my job anymore? Do I want to change? And it was just all because I just didn't, I didn't feel well. So I'm happy to be back and doing what I love to do and things are things are going well and I'm I'm grateful I do not need to be in an office every day because I do worry about germs. I'm glad you were able to return and that you are feeling so much better and uh, you're able to work from home. Dealing with kidney disease and the transplant process can be tough. How do you manage your mental health? I take a lot of time for me. You know, I put my energy into things that I really love, things that I will care about, that I do care about. I'm okay saying no to a party or an event if I'm tired. I set boundaries with people. I set boundaries for myself. I do things that genuinely make me happy. I think when your life is dangled in front of your face like that and you realize your mortality you realize how life, how short life is and how quickly it can be taken from you. And I only want to spend the time doing the things that I want to do and with the people I want to be with. And so 
I work really hard to, you know, surround myself with all things positive, enjoy all the aspects of the day that I enjoy. I put my family first. I rest when I need to. I am not ashamed to say that I see a therapist as well. I mean, what I went through was it was a lot. You know, staying in touch with a professional has helped me as well to say you know, I'm just feeling a certain way and this is really tough. Is this normal? Can we talk about it? And I find that's been really beneficial as well. Now you mentioned your blog. Do you have any other hobbies that we should know about? Yeah. So something that I did while I was recovering, you know, I've always been crafty since I was a little girl. I was always into jewelry and beading and all different sorts of art. You know, I was on my phone. I was online shopping one day and I said I really wanted to buy this really gorgeous bracelet. And it was gold beads with a handful of uh, rose quartz beads. And I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. Oh, it's $40. $40? Hmm. I could make that as a for a fraction less. <laughs> and so I, um, you know, you're, you're sitting around, you're recovering, you're alone, you're bored. And I did. And I, I went and I knew I, I had some places. I got some supplies that I ordered online. And I started creating these bracelets for myself. And as time had went on, I started working with smaller and smaller gemstones. And so I did so much research on gemstones and the energies that they can bring. And I started creating bracelets, necklaces, um, and I found that this was therapeutic for so many reasons. One, it gave me a creative outlet. It gave me something to do, uh, help pass the time. They were beautiful. You know, I love anything art-related. And, you know, those of us who take some of these immunosuppressants like tacrolimus suffer with anxiety and tremors. And so in the beginning, when I was only a few months out, my tremors were a lot worse. And so this forced me to sit and hand bead these little itty bitty two millimeter stones onto a string. And so that's how it occupied my time. And so I had a bunch of them sitting around. I'm like, you know what, for for Christmas, I'm going to give a bunch of these out to friends and family. It was like such a hit. I was shocked how much people love these. And and one of my good friends had told me I should start a small business. I'm like, come on. This is I do not have time for this. I don't that's not something I want to manage. Um I've got enough on my plate. But as I thought about it more, I'm like, what a cool little opportunity, right? Like I work in marketing. I have some of this knowledge. I love to do this. This gives me a different sense of purpose than I've had before. Why not? And so I did. I created my own small business, and um, it's called uh, Lucy and Lola Handstrung Gem Creations. Lucy and Lola are two of my cats who were at my side my entire recovery, and it's taken off to the point where I'm, you know, now working on creating my own website. I have some marketing materials, and so it's given me a different sense of purpose and. I love to do it and I love to create art and beauty and it it gives me so much joy to see friends and family wearing these and loving them and 
they're high quality. I buy only the best of the best. And so that's kind of been one of my hobbies throughout all this. You know, I, I've done a little Netflixing as well. I won't lie. Um, <laughs> as I think we all do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is wonderful. I love the idea of the bracelets and the healing properties of the beads. Thank you. When we were at the kidney walk a few weeks ago, I had bought a bunch of green gemstones and I had some, you know, green ribbon charms and I had made a number of them for for my my family and friends who came along and just as a little thank you for for being there and supporting me throughout all of this. How has your chronic illness impacted your relationship with your son? It's been up and down. Initially, you know, I think he he struggled a little bit. He's faced some losses in the last couple of years and he saw the decline in his mom, which is as a mother is just really hard to see your kid sad over a cause that you created. I mean, not that I wanted to or it was intentional, but it was hard. And so, you know, I had a lot of mommy, are you going to die? Mommy, are you going to be okay? Mom, are you, you know, is is your kidney fixed? Is it is everything going to be fine? A lot of questions. And for a, he's six and a half now, but a year ago at five and a half, he's very inquisitive and he's very, very smart. And so naturally he asks a lot of questions and mom, are you going to die like grandpa Bill did? And, you know, I think that was probably one of the hardest, the hardest pieces for me. And we explain that the doctors are going to do everything in their power to help me and that that is not going to happen and we are going to do our best and I'm taking such good care of myself. But it was hard. And I remember when I dropped him off at my aunt and uncle's house, they were going to watch him because my mom was my caregiver, that I just left and and just cried because I worried what if that's the last time he saw his mom and it, it was just it was extremely emotional and difficult when I first came home from the hospital he was a little hesitant of me he you know didn't want to get too close I was limping around I was you know a good amount of pain and ironically he had started kindergarten only a few days after I had gotten home from the hospital and so I had my mom and my husband walk me to the corner with a chair so I could see him get on the bus for his first day. I was like, I'm going to be that mom. I'm going to be there. And I did. And I was there for him. And he started coming around. He is a mama's boy through and through. Now I just, I take a lot of time to do the things that are meaningful for him and for me. Um, you know, life is busy. Work is busy. There's always something. But when he asked me to be a mystery reader or he asked me to do something at the school for him, I will move mountains to try to make that work. I will take the time out of the day to do it because those are the the meaningful times that we have. I mean, him not knowing that I was going to be a mystery reader and showing up and he, I mean, he ran right at, at me and almost knocked me over. He was so... <laughs> happy and so and so excited and like bringing him that joy means so much to me and 
you know, it, we've had some struggles and, you know, the, the, we've had the social worker involved at school too, just because this is, it's a lot to process for a little guy. And so she had suggested doing like a special mom and Logan time every day. It was just a dedicated time for him and I to spend time together. Because when I went back to work, it was very exhausting initially. And so I didn't have much energy come five o'clock. And so he missed that and he wanted some of that. And so we set up mommy and Logan time. And sometimes we would build Legos together. Other times we would sit and pull up YouTube and we would watch cake decorating videos because he loves that. It's fun. It's lighthearted. We, you know, give our, you know, what we think, our opinions on the different cakes. Mm -hmm. Um, so we try to spend those times that that time together. We I will take a day off here and there from a mom and Logan day and we just go do whatever he wants to do. It usually involves PF Chang's and the Lego store, which <laughs> ends up with money out of my wallet, but that's okay because it's it's a day well spent together. So your journey hasn't been that long, but it's also not been easy. What motivates you to keep going? truthfully is is my son Logan he needs his mom he loves his mom and he deserves to have a happy and a healthy mom so I do everything in my power to take good care of myself I mean I have all these alarms set and my meds tracked in my phone to make sure I don't miss them I go to my doctor's appointments I do my blood work I ask questions he's really really what motivates me to keep going and to try hard. And he's kind of been my my shining star along the way because it is very easy to sink into this, why me? I don't want to do this. This is too much. But when he, you know, jumps in my lap and throws his arms around my neck and squeezes me, it's like, this is why I keep going. And that's a great reason to keep going. What do you wish others knew about the transplant process? <laughs> a couple of things. One, you don't just put a kidney in and everything is fine and you move on with life and everything's wonderful. It is truly, truly, truly a roller coaster, especially that first year. And then second, it's it's not a cure. It is a treatment. And so I know I've had friends say, you know, when I've said, well, hopefully down the line, if and when I need another transplant, and they're like, what? You would need another one? There's some shock factor there. And I didn't know either. I had no idea when I first learned about this that, yeah, eventually I might. I'm, you know, on the younger side, and there is potential that I may need another one before my life ends. And I'm okay with that. But it is a shock to some people. Just because I might look okay, I might act okay, I might seem okay, doesn't necessarily mean that I am. We all have hard days. I think when you're a transplant patient and you are on immunosuppressants, especially high doses, every day is a little bit different. You know, some weeks I have days where I feel fantastic all the time. Other weeks, you know, I might be more tired or I might have my memory might be not quite as spot on. And so I like to say I feel like a science experiment sometimes, right? Like my body is not always my own. I take these anti-rejection meds. You put in a new kidney, it doesn't belong there. So it, it naturally affects other systems in your body. And so 
having understanding that not every day is a great day just because I might look okay or sound okay doesn't necessarily mean that I am. And to have some some grace and understanding around that. Well, I want to thank you, Christy, for taking this time to talk with us and to be, share so transparently. It's really been awesome to hear about your journey. And I really wish you happy, healthy healing as you move forward. Thank you so much. And I, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and share my journey. You know, any of the listeners need somebody to reach out to, please know I'm always here for a sounding board or to ask any questions. I may not have the right answer, but I can at least give you my perspective or my experience. You know, one thing I want to share is that I had connected with now very good friend um, who has been through transplants and she has been my saving grace throughout all of this. And so if there is somebody who I can help and give back, I am more than happy to do that. Thank you, Christy. And anybody who's looking for Christy can find her on Facebook, find her blog, Chronically Christy. If you're struggling to balance life and kidney disease, surrounding yourself with a community can be helpful. At NKFI, we have patient programs and networking opportunities. To find out more information, go to nkfi.org. I'm Monica Fox, and this is The Journey Continues. Prevention's a key part of our mission at the Kidney Foundation. That's why at the end of each episode, Dr. Melissa Prest offers a health tip. Here's today's nutrition tip about fluid and hydration. Drinking enough water every day has a big impact on your health. It can prevent dehydration, help with maintaining your body temperature, allow for regular bowel movements, and help to prevent kidney stones. Water and proper hydration are necessary to lubricate and cushion your joints, protect your spinal cord and other sensitive body tissues, and help to rid your body of waste through urine, perspiration, and bowel movements. A common question is how much water should I drink in a day? That answer varies by person and health condition and is best answered by your healthcare provider. But in general, you want to make sure you are drinking enough water to produce urine that is a light color. Darker urine may indicate that you are not drinking enough. While water is the drink of choice, other beverages such as tea, coffee, and milk can also keep you hydrated. Don't forget that some of the foods we eat have a higher water content and can help you meet your fluid needs. These foods include soup, fruits, and vegetables. Wondering how you can drink more water in a day? Try a few of these tips. Carry a water bottle with you and refill it throughout the day. Freeze water in a freezer safe water bottle. Take one with you and then it'll thaw and you have water all day long. Choose water over sugary drinks. Opt for water when you're eating out. Serve water during meals and add a wedge of lime or lemon to your water to enhance the flavor of water and help you drink more water than you're used to. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois.